Welcome everyone to the Watchmen podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for Watchmen on HBO. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. The Watchmen podcast by Fantastic Geek revisits Chapter 6, The Abyss Gazes Also. Pete, first up, of course, we must at least briefly discuss the uh, latest trailer to come out for the Watchmen series on HBO. Uh, some new footage, some old footage, certainly an exciting presentation as we continue to count down to October 20th on HBO. And I think the biggest thing, a statement of theme addressing the idea of masks, the hardcore connection from the original work to this TV series, Love the line by uh, Gene Smart's Lori. Uh, so you wear the mask, you know, because of the pain. I think also, too, clearly work on this show was, uh, you know, undertaken several years ago at the starting point when the writer's room first convened. But the timeliness of the the Seventh Cavalry, the timeliness of that kind of social angst at the show is uh, capturing that that's you know mirroring our own world there must be nervous nellies at hbo particularly new uh you know with new ownership and whatnot who knows pete maybe there'll be a fight in season two to be like no let's turn those guys into you know cloud pillow makers instead of something that might offend subscribers but for right now this show doubling down on its timeliness and really using that science fiction lens to have a discussion about the world that we live in and I think that's the only way to do this, to put it in a vacuum and say we're going to have this conversation about masks. It only works in light of the real and recent events, the alternate universe in which Watchmen dwells and being able to link up the two of them, this Seventh Cavalry idea clearly using bits and pieces of, you know, white privilege of incels of, you know, homegrown terrorism, basically every ne'er-do-well group and at the same time making it unique to its universe. It certainly will be interesting too in the next month or so what what further advertising is there do we get some of these kind of quote-unquote extended universe things do we get you know a, a newspaper website do we get a, a youtube channel from this character or that character or do they just keep it laser focused on the series time will tell but certainly they're going to pull out all the stops in the next month and as we get closer to friday october 4th when uh new york comic-con will feature a panel that we will attend that will also include a screening of the pilot can't wait to inform you of all of that information well that's the future pete today we're talking chapter six of the graphic novel its summary from the wiki at watchmen.fandom.com is as follows the opening image a rorschach ink blot the story itself has rorschach now out of costume and in prison being interviewed by psychiatrist dr malcolm long long shows rorschach an ink blot which looks to rorschach like a dog with its head split in half though Rorschach tells Long that it looks like a pretty butterfly. Long comments in his journal that Rorschach is getting better, then shows him another ink blot, which causes Rorschach to have a flashback to when he was a child and walked in on his mother, a prostitute. 
She gets upset and then strikes Rorschach. When Long asks Rorschach what he just saw in the inkblot, Rorschach responds, some nice flowers. Rorschach is then led back to his prison cell while other prisoners threaten to kill him for having gotten them locked up in the past. Rorschach then has a flashback to when he was a child and some older kids were taunting him. Ultimately, Rorschach took a cigarette out of the bully's mouth, then shoved it into the bully's eye. Rorschach then attacked the other bully and started biting off his face, with several bystanders trying to pull Rorschach off. Closing quotation, battle not with monsters, lest ye become a monster, and if you gaze into the abyss, the abyss also gazes into you. Of course, from Nietzsche. The attached documents are the New York State Psychiatric File on Walter J. Kovacs. The construction of this particular chapter in light of the attached document makes the most sense to see it through uh, the doctor's eyes. And then there's the flashbacks, the revelations we get through um, Walter Joseph Kovacs, formerly Rorschach, as he's undergoing therapy. And I think, too, one could get away with just having Dr. Long be the guy that asks questions. And we know that it's not a butterfly. And we know that it's not some nice flowers. What really shows that masterful storytelling is that we see these little corners of uh, Dr. Long's life, first working late on the file, then his wife calling him to the marriage bed the one night, then fast forward to a little bit later when they're having a dinner party, one assumes in the, uh, you know, the well-appointed department of either them or a, a neighbor, and Long now kind of cold to all the, uh, the facts here, or at the very least when Looky Lou's want to find out, oh, is there any, you know, are there any kind of kinky stories? And it's, you know, no, I'm going to tell you some of the, the horrible facts because, you know, as with that Nietzsche quote at the end, Rorschach is corrupting Long as much as Long is trying to pull out the corruption from Rorschach. And within that, we have the origin of Rorschach to give us the, uh, the, the bullying, the abuse at the hands of a negligent parent the origin of the mask, cutting it from the fabric of a dress. There's always this maternal angst with Kovacs um, that's pretty unresolved. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's well done. Is it Dr. Manhattan Chapter 4 well done? It is not. It's still up there. I think... You know, chapter four is capturing a certain uh, temporal timelessness uh, with how it tells the story. And that is that's unique to that chapter. I prefer this chapter, I think, because it really has that that leveraging of the visual of ink blots. It's not just kind of a literary story. And I don't mean to suggest that the Dr. Manhattan chapter is merely literary. Uh, although of course that's, that's a, a compliment in and of itself, but to have these ink plots, which to us look like nothing. And then the background on why they reflect for Rorschach, what they, what they do, you know, there's just a, there's, there's this sad beauty to it. And then you get just these really humanizing stories where you understand that it's not Rorschach who's a crazy person. He's been he's been molded by the craziness of the world around him through a, a series of you know unfortunate situations, but ones that each and every single one doesn't necessarily seem like it's 
it's a breaking point and it's not, it's this cumulative effect. And perhaps there's no better anecdote to illustrate that than his investigation of the missing child and the evidence that he uncovers and then the uncompromising nature that he feels with the murderer, not to, uh, you know, bring him in, but rather to take him out, um, even with an admission of guilt. This is on him, he feels, to right society's wrong. And unlike some of the other flashbacks in the chapter, you know, we get that first image of the dead dog early on, and then we only get the explanation later. And I think for the reader, you can't understand how he could do that to a dog. Then you get the context and you kind of completely understand. But even then, you know, it is a weird sense of justice. Like, you know, the dogs as, you know, largely wild animals aren't to blame. They're certainly not to, they're, they're not to uh, be held accountable, uh, certainly in the sense the way, uh, the way Rorschach holds them accountable. So it's just this weird, it's this weird experience to read it because you can be on Rorschach's side or at least see his perspective in one moment and then you're not sure of it yourself. I, indeed, Pete, I say without, meaning to make it sound like a joke, we are kind of in the same position as Long, where it's it's fascinating and it's grisly, then we understand it, then at the end of it, we still kind of can't completely understand it. It's numbing, and therein the existentialist nightmare. Um, we're alone, there's nothing else, this existence. You see a butterfly, somebody else sees a dead dog, and to lay bare who Walter Joseph Kovacs Rorschach is to better understand him and then to still feel we're no closer to any kind of answers than we were before. In the attempt to give answers, and I don't think that there's the desire by Moore and Gibbons to give us kind of a, a, a complete answer, but I think in that attempt, this is a particularly good set of attached documents, not just the... Well, I guess it's supposed to be portions of the psychiatric file, but of course it goes back to uh, earlier bits of uh, information, not just the summary from the psychiatric hospital, but also uh, stuff from his childhood home, of course, the Charlton home, Charlton Comics, all that. Um, there's just... There's a an authenticity as well as a purpose to this uh, attached document section. Come on, man. The dream, Matt. I know you want to go there. Uh, it, the, yeah, that, that dream picture as drawn by W.J. Uh, Kovacs, age 13, where it's, you know, two adult eyes. You see it's an intimate moment, but they look like merged monsters. It looks like a four-handed, four-legged, just, you know, frightening creature and... Or or yeah. a Rorschach, oh, or Rorschach certainly in how it's reflected. I mean, it's for, it, it takes a skilled hand to make something that looks like the scribbles of a child uh, looks like perhaps even you know perhaps out of context if you didn't know Rorschach's story. You know, a child misunderstanding the intimate act, uh, but it takes the practiced hand of Dave Givens to make it look like a thirteen-year-old drew it, and there's all this meaning to get out of it mirroring and multi-limbs and a monster and a, like an ink blot and all of that. 
what do you think? Non-dominant hand drawing or just I'm going to sit down and I'm going to create something from the mind and the hands of a child? I mean, either or. I think at the end of the day, it's a, it's an artistic eye that has produced this, whether it's with the less fine uh, muscles of the non-dominant hand at the end of the day, you know, or, or whether it is with his practiced hand at the end of the day, he's looking for a certain aesthetic to it. And whether it was first draft or hundredth draft, he, he really got it. Speaking of the art, Pete, the, the emotional climax to all this, when Rorschach discovers the, the fate of the missing girl, it's nine panels followed by nine panels that nine by nine all in a row across two pages where there's no dialogue. Indeed, it bleeds onto a third page where there's five, uh, five panels of another nine by nine where there's, where there's no dialogue. And it forces the reader to focus on the art, which you might say, well, of course it does because there's no dialogue, but just putting these horrible pieces together where the entire reveal comes together. It's just, I mean, you know, Alan Moore wrote things which were then drawn uh, you know that it's not relying on dialogue, and it's just that, that the synergy of these two is at this great height here. A detective story within a detective story, and it really does work well. And, you know, more so than the ink blot, to me, this chapter feels like Russian nesting dolls. Indeed, Pete, and just as those dolls are supported from the inside, as always, our thanks to those who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek, helping us with those real-world costs, the storage, the bandwidth, etc., and helping make our podcast go. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, and there's all sorts of levels after that. So heading into... Fantastic Geeks con season here, heading into the fall TV season. Really want to be a member of that. Just takes a dollar to get you in the door, and there's all sorts of levels. You can get at the Dr. and Mrs. Long level, in which we will come to your house for uh, elaborate dinner parties. Indeed, Pete, lots of perks there. The best, though, it's talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can contact me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,645 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P-H, all one word. Like it today. Well, Pete, we will be back soon to talk Chapter 7 of the Watchmen graphic novel. Until then, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. You're locked up in here with me. 